All right, and welcome to another episode of Tea with Dr. D. This is Dr. Ron Dumar, functional medicine specialist, chiropractic physician, and Chinese medicine doctor. Today we're going to talk about another fantastic herb that is so applicable for us during this time, and that is Artemisia anua, Qinghao. Qinghao is the herb. Artemisia anua is the uh, herb as well. And we're going to be talking about it and its extracts and the functionality it has to uh, perform antiviral function and activity. I think that you'll agree with me when we finish this uh, little episode that Artemisia Anua Ching Hao should be utilized as a first-line defense against COVID. We should be utilizing this herb as a first-line defense against COVID. All people, all patients should be offered this very benign, yet incredibly effective treatment modality and method for coronaviruses and many, many viruses that it has a significant effect on. The plant itself has been studied for more than 2,000 years in traditional Chinese medicine, and even recently it's been studied more and more due to its effect on um, malaria and HIV and Zika and coronaviruses. So buckle up. Here we go. Let's understand a little bit about how Artemisia nua came to stage full center. Well, as I mentioned before, Artemisia nua has been studied extensively in Chinese medicine research for thousands of years. And it was originally uh, utilized as an anti-fever medication uh, and was was uh, extensively studied and utilized in that, that mode, in that fashion. In our clinic, we utilize Ching Hao in our uh, fever medications. We also use it in our um, antiviral or our gone viral medications that we use, uh, the herbals. And it, uh, it performs uh, a multitude of actions um, against pro-inflammatory conditions such as what we hear as cytokine storm. Um, it, it achieves its effect by stimulating adaptive immunity. It regulates the production of pro-inflammatory cytokines, prostaglandin E2, interleukin-6, interleukin-10, tumor necrosis factor alpha and increases the genesis of CD4 and CD8 and even interferon gamma. Um, It's involved in many, many uh, mineral and biomolecule um, syntheses and the properties that it contains are things such as flavonoids, polyphenols, triterpenes, sterols, saponins, polysaccharides, and artemisinin. Artemisinin is its active 
significant active ingredient. Um, it does have also some concentration of zinc and selenium, uh, and it plays, as I mentioned before, a significant role in, in the immune, antiviral, antioxidant, and even anti-inflammatory responses. This herb has been studied recently uh, and is recognized in research as to have antiviral activity against um, HSV-1, against poliovirus, against RSV, against hepatitis C, against type 2 dengue virus, and even human cytomegalovirus, and also in anti-HIV in vitro. So artemisinin and its flavonoids, also quercetin, uh, has been shown to be so beneficial. All of these things that are found in Qinghao and, uh, and contribute to its extremely effective and beneficial effect on the body in assisting the immune response against viral particles and viral pathogens. Now, how did artemisinin come on the stage? Well, one of the ways, one of the reasons it came on the stage is because when we were uh, looking for uh, we were looking for strategies to treat and to uh, ameliorate the condition, uh, viral conditions that were so rampant um, in, especially in Africa, and as we were. As, as, as scientists were exploring and evaluating, they came across this um, cinchona tree, which is the bark of the cinchona tree, and they found a substance that seemed to be extremely beneficial for, um, for treating malarial disorders, malarial-type disorders, um, and specifically uh, the viruses and that... that um, that are the contributing factors. And so they wanted a substance or to find some compound in nature that could be of benefit. Well, that substance was found in the bark of the cinchona tree. This substance was known as quinine. Quinine uh, had a significant effect in ameliorating or reducing the devastating effect on uh, culture and economies uh, in a variety of different areas, but especially in Africa. And as it was able to ameliorate and to um, fight against these illnesses and ailments, this quinine so effective, but what they found was that the growing... Uh, trying to source it at the time and where you grew it. Originally, it was endemic to uh, Africa, I mean, South America. And, and then they attempted to grow in, uh, also in Germany and throughout Europe. And they found that each area seemed to produce different levels and uh, concentrations of the, prod, of the compound quinine. Well, they came to determine a very specific uh, 
amount of quinine, how they could would grow and maximize the amount of quinine that they could get out of the plant. And then, then they came up with an idea of, well, let's just, uh, let's just produce it ourselves. Let's just go through and uh, see if we can come up with a synthetic derivative. So in 1820, the first anti-malarial drug, quinine, was extracted from the cinchona bark by a French pharmacist. And in the 1940s, it was limited by the raw materials. That's what happened, is they realized, okay, how are we going to grow enough of this? How are we going to extract enough? And so German scientists set out to synthesize chloroquine. Maybe you've heard of that before, which is similar to the natural quinine in chemical structure. So if you look at them, you can actually look this up, quinine, Q-U-I-N-I-N-E, quinine, and chloroquine, C-H-L-O-R-O-Q-U-I-N-E, chloroquine and quinine, uh, suggesting that they have similar structures. And I've mentioned this a lot in my podcast, that the function and the method that pharmaceutical companies will go through is to evaluate, to find a compound that appears to work in nature against a specific pathogenic factor, and then to synthetically create something that will behave or perform um, in a way that, that is like that in nature. So the objective of the pharmaceutical, um, the synthetic product that's being created is to function as closely like that compound that exists in nature, but not to be as that compound that exists in nature. Because if it was that compound that existed in nature, well, you can't really patent it. And you can't put your own license or your own stamp on it. And so I, my preference would be why not come up with a, uh, a, a way of actually deriving that substance itself or that compound itself. Why haven't we ever thought of doing that? Coming up with the compound itself and the way that it exists in nature. Instead, we are fascinated with developing compounds that are in the likeness of, but not exact. And because we are in the likeness of and not exact, we have far more um, side effects, far more literally thinking of it as a side effect, meaning that it is not uh, it is not the same it's and so it has extensions or additions to you could say something on the side of the original product if we started with a square you would say you would put a line out or draw it on the diagonal or you'd put a line straight on one of the straight perpendicular from one of the sides and that would be a unique structure that you could you could patent because it was resembling the original structure, but it was not a structure originally um, occurring in nature. So as a result, what we've done is we've taken quinine and we've developed it into a, uh, a new compound that does not exist in nature, which is in fact synthetic, called chloroquine. Then we've gone a further step. In the 1950s, chemists, the uh, chemist Alexander Surrey and Henry Hammer, they published uh, the synthesis of hydroxy 
hydroxychloroquine, which was even more effective, they thought, and seemed to be less toxic than chloroquine. So, of course, chloroquine had some uh, additional side effects, and so they thought, you know what, well, we can, we can make this a little bit better. And they added a hydroxy group or an OH group to it, and uh, that changed again the structure. So now it's not, um, it's not something like a natural compound. It's something like something like a naturally occurring compound. Uh, by the mid-20th century, malaria was gradually controlled in China. Um, parts of Africa still suffered high in epidemic proportions of malaria. But uh, in the 1960s, an epidemic broke out, and it spread all throughout Southeast Asia and, and uh, all over South America. Um, the Plasmodium falciparum parasite was developing a resistance to chloroquine. A lot of people have heard about this resistance that uh, we're developing in our society to antibiotic or antibiotic-resistant strains of, of bacteria. So we've been giving antibiotics so frequently that we've seen some antibiotic-resistant strains, meaning that the antibiotics are no longer effective against them. And so we either have to find other sources or other biotic species that will begin to uh, interconsume. Uh, anyway, the, the parasite was developing a resistance to the drug, to chloroquine, uh, and also to hydroxychloroquine. So what happened at this time? What happened was on the stage came, inspired by books and the history, 2,000 of years or more history of traditional Chinese medicine study, an extract found in an herb called Qinghao, Artemisia anua, the extract Artemisinin. It found that it had a 100% inhibition rate against plasmodium. Artemisinin is now used for chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine in resistant malaria, which means that malaria has developed a resistance has developed a resistance to the drugs. And in those cases where drugs are not working, they're pulling out, again, an original compound from nature, and it's winning out. And it's helping to save thousands and millions and millions of individuals from malarial-type um, uh, symptoms and conditions. Well, this, uh, this individual, her name, that uh, she, she did this work and, and proposed that we utilize artemisinin uh, as an extract from Ching Hao, her work was eventually realized. And in 2011, she was uh, awarded you know, what is called the Lasker Award in clinical medicine. And in 2015, because of the impressive work that she'd done, she earned a Nobel Prize in physiology. So a pretty impressive and staggering admission of, of uh, the potent antiviral 
and anti-malarial effect of quinine, sure, but also artemisinin itself from the herbal um, from the herbal Qinghao. Now, uh, there's been plenty of uh, other infectious diseases and uh, severe illnesses that that these medications or these herbals have shown to be effective for. Uh, in fact, chloroquine has been confirmed to be effective during epidemics of various infectious diseases, uh, especially for uh, severe acute respiratory syndrome or SARS, Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, coronavirus, MERS, Uh, In 2003, SARS broke out in China, and according to the World Health Organization, a total of 8,000 people became sick with SARS during the outbreak, and 774 died. In 2004, Mark Van Ranst and colleagues found that chloroquine effectively inhibited SARS coronavirus replication. So in 2005, Stuart Nichol and colleagues found that chloroquine suppressed SARS replication, both before and after infection, suggesting a preventative and therapeutic role of it against SARS. So these medications, upon which are based, um, which are based on quinine from the cinchona bark of a tree in South, originally in, uh, from South America, are are having a significant effect, antiviral effect, but also when it, when it seems that a, uh, some sort of parasitic, antiparasitic um, might be a benefit as well. Now what we're seeing is also a crossover that the Artemisia annua, Artemisinin, from Qinghao, uh, is benefiting also these patients for antiviral conditions and illnesses and diseases. Now, this is why I think, again, that herbals, herbal formulations, herbal physicians should be the front line, first line of defense in any pandemic. How long does it take to actually develop a synthetic medication? How long does it take to actually develop an immunization vaccination? How long does it take? It can take a very long time, far longer than we have. Um, And in the meantime, we can be helping to stimulate appropriate immune responses, build up antibodies, and, and strengthen the metabolic health profile of individuals of whom we treat. So if you don't have a skilled herbal physician, now's the time to find one. Now's the time to find one because... There are herbals that are out there and there are physicians that are out there who can utilize these herbals effectively and efficiently to treat ailments that we suffer with, even on a pandemic scale. I would say, I might say, especially on a pandemic scale, there is a role for this type of medicine and for physicians who are trained and understand this type of medicine to interact and engage in first-line defense against these type of pathogens. So in, in, in addition, 
to uh, utilizing Sage King how and having that fronted offense against the uh, viral particles themselves, um, what else might be a beneficial thing for us to utilize and to take? Well, I, I wanted to mention hydroxychloroquine, quinine, chloroquine, okay, because these are medica- this is a medication that uh, originally people recommended or it was pointed out you should utilize this and then at some point it was it lost approval and it in fact was uh, recommended against you its use was rec- it was not recommended uh, and it was suggested that we should no longer utilize hydroxychloroquine for the treatment of uh, COVID, SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19. And it, it's interesting, but it is one of the medications that we know throughout the world that has been utilized um, in millions of prescriptions and has been utilized for parasitic and uh, viral-related conditions very successfully. And uh, it, it has been utilized or was, the, was in the process of treating a condition that artemisinin helped to resolve as well. So the crossover, uh, the ability of the plant to be able to approach the, the virus, the parasitic type illness, and to have an effect on the pathogenic factor to uh, mitigate and neutralize that is, uh, uh, is a significant thing for us to understand. Now, additionally, we've heard a lot of talk on the news about the importance of not consuming a specific substance, not just hydroxychloroquine, but another substance. And uh, that substance, that substance uh, is a comes in a variety of forms. It comes in a paste, can come in a liquid, it can come in a tablet form. But that substance is a dewormer or uh, anti-parasite type of substance and is known as ivermectin. Now, ivermectin came on the scene because of its role as an anti-parasitic. And if we look at a lot of these, again, viral type of conditions, pathogenic factors, even with the role of uh, addressing uh, malarial type of disorders and the, uh, fault, uh, the, the, the use of artemisia in, in Africa and uh, its application there, and then also hydroxychloroquine and quinine and chloroquine, uh, and we see the, the development there and the applica- cross-application that uh, it, it proves to be beneficial. It's proving to be beneficial for this fight against a variety of different viruses. And we mentioned even the Zika virus and the HIV virus and a variety of viruses that these medications interfere with and, in fact, that these herbals, this herbal artemisinin, interferes with as well. So I wanted to 
I pointed out, obviously, significantly, Ching Hao, Artemisia Anua, and I wanted to also provide for you an option for an antiparasitic or a deworming type option. Now, one of my deworming go-tos is a substance called binglong. And binglong is, uh, it's in it. well, it's antiparasitic. It's a deworming substance. The uh, English name is betel nut. So betel nut is a dewormer. It kills parasites, and uh, it also is beneficial for uh, the, the lung, sorry, the large intestine and the stomach. So where we're trying to clear and relieve the body of parasites, we can utilize binglong, uh, betel nut, as an effective strategy, and you could combine that with the use of Ching Hao to address any viral application that uh, was contributing to the harboring of this type of condition. Now, when we're harboring parasites, I want you to think about um, the ecosystem. I want you to think about nature for just a minute and think about just how, you know, you're, you're hiking, you're going on a hike in a beautiful, pristine mountain region. The water is crystal clear and blue, and it's just running there there next to you. The trail is next to a river, and you see a waterfall up ahead. The water is moving at a good pace, and the, you're walking through a, a forest with trees and greenery and shrubs, and it's a, it's all seems to be working together, working together and moving. It seems very clean and clear, no stagnation, no no buildup of uh, of of parasite, no buildup of mosquito or marsh or bog or or uh, any icky thing like that. So think about that though, as you you come along, let's say you turn off the trail, uh, and as you veer off the trail, you're headed into a uh, into a more thickly marshy area and uh, the ground below you starts to get a little bit more uh, wet and soft and then as you come into this clearing you look around and you see that the water is all stasis it's it's not moving it's clear it's it's just staying there and it's turbid and murky and dirty and uh, there there are a lot of a lot of bugs and a lot of mosquitoes, and you see all sorts of just um, turbidity there. Now, this type of a condition can lead itself, or this type of a situation can lend itself to more ailment or disease. Uh, and if you equate this to the the physiology of the body, we want things moving. We want the blood to be moving like a river flowing nicely, not too rapidly and not too slowly, not stagnating. We don't want pools or eddies building up where you would have clot formation or stagnation of some sort that way. We want things to be moving at a really nice, gentle clip. And we also want appropriate 
nutrient supply to the local vegetation without uh, without overabundant uh, population of of uh, parasitic type of uh, insects. So we can actually harbor a type of physiology to to attract or to allow for the harboring of parasites. So one of the first things we need to do is address some dietary measures to reduce the likelihood of parasitic uh, harboring. So think about the story I just shared with you. If you're if you're allowing for, if you're feeling stagnated or swollen, or, or um, if if you're consuming a diet that is very very uh, toxic or is very heat generating, uh, it's very very likely that you could start forming or developing a physiology of stagnation of some sort, uh, even of dryness and. Uh, of course, you can also have over, in, th- in this case, overly wet in a certain place or boggy or marshy. We would, we would refer to that kind of as a dampness and a heat condition. So a dampness and a heat condition uh, is like that which would generate or harbor a parasitic, uh, a parasitic state. So make sure that the foods that you're consuming are are balanced in temperature. They're balanced in their ability and capacity to keep the nutrients of the body moving at at an appropriate viscosity that you're not uh, leading to uh, significant rates of inflammation without consuming. So like you might be exercising, that leads to inflammation, but you need to be consuming a significant amount of antioxidants um, or cooling, more cooling anti-inflammatory foods if you're going to do that as well. So uh, somebody once said to me that you can eat whatever you want if you're just meeting your caloric demand, and that is the biggest nonsense that I've ever heard. It is not just about caloric intake and out output. It is about the temperature, the thermogenesis of our food. It is about what that food does physiologically in your body, what type of polyphenols, uh, whether it has terpenoids or, or alkaloids, and what, what those are going to do in your body and how it's going to affect your physiology. A trained herbalist, a master herbalist, or somebody, a physician who, um, a physician who is trained in the use of these specific herbs we'll be able to help you identify that. And we'll be able to identify properly for you the condition that you're in so that you can have appropriate care and treatment. It is so important to make sure that you, as you go through this, you're, you're uh, seeking appropriate care from a trained physician. Uh, hopefully you all have one in your area. Hopefully there's one near you. If you, if you don't have one, reach out to us and we'll do some virtual visits or figure out a way that you can be taken care of and set up a plan for yourself and your family to make sure your bases are covered. 
So now back to Bing Long. Uh, Bing Long is a parasite killer. It, uh, it treats, it's probably best for treating tapeworms, uh, but it also is useful at killing a variety of intestinal parasites, uh, just like pinworms and roundworms, uh, even blood flukes. It's a very, very uh, multifaceted, very useful herb. Uh, the ability of the herb is its function. It helps to drain downward. It's also warming, so it's not going to be overly aggressive uh, to the spleen or the stomach. It's going to be a little more supportive to it, but it is definitely a downward draining, a downward initiating, which means detoxifying and eliminating uh, herb. And we can combine it with a variety of different herbs uh, based on the present, presenting complaints, uh, whether, um, you know, regardless of how those symptoms are presenting, it'll determine, okay, we may put a specific herb with it to, uh, you know, affect fever or to affect itching or to affect some of the other symptoms that might be uh, in conjunction with it. Uh, but the herb, the herb itself is, is a bitter, what we would describe a bitter flavor. And generally those bitter flavor herbs are very strongly detoxifying, downward-draining herbs, and they would guide. They would guide and re- guide out. They would they would eliminate and purge that um, parasite, but but also they're going to promote the movement of pathological factors, and they're going to reduce and eliminate the stagnation. So a lot of uh, promoting movement, promoting circulation, uh, and then drawing that movement and circulation to a specific specific end, which is down and out. Now, it's, it's an th- important thing to consider that many people will engage in what they consider or call a detox without, without properly having the methods or the major methods of detoxification cleared and ready. What I mean by that is unless you clear the intestines, unless you prepare the intestines for the the onslaught of toxin elimination that is about to occur as a result of the program that you're undergoing, then you're just going to release that toxin and it will not be able to be released or emptied at that time because it, it'll be blocked. It, there's too many in the line. They get out in the hallway. You release it from the classroom, you could say. It'll get out in the hallway, but there's such a, a dense amount of other people and substances waiting in the hallway to get to the destination that it just goes to a different classroom. What you don't want to do is to initiate a detoxification strategy where you move toxic substances from one physiological area of the body to another. You don't want to, say, dislodge it from adipose tissue and move it to nervous tissue. You don't want to move it from nervous tissue to heart tissue. So these are really important things for us to consider making sure that you have are, are focused on evacuation first and clearing out the lymphatic system first 
so that the lymphatic system is ready and the intestines are ready to receive the detoxification. Now, most most of these parasites that uh, we're in, involved with, they generally um, generally affect in significant way the uh, large intestine, the small intestine, um, really usually the large intestine. And uh, so what what we will do is utilize a combination of herbs to help uh, eliminate or expel them. One thing as well that I like to utilize a lot when I'm treating some sort of parasitic type condition um, is apple cider vinegar. Apple cider vinegar is a household item that everyone should have if they're concerned with any sort of parasite. Parasites frequently will get from undercooked meats. Uh, And so if you're going out to eat, uh, my wife and I, we always like to have a little bit of apple cider vinegar before we go out to eat. I learned that from my mom, my dad, actually. Uh, They used to always do uh, apple cider vinegar before going out to eat. In fact, they would have us as kids do apple cider vinegar very, very frequently. Uh, It was one of their uh, secrets to health. But apple cider vinegar is a very effective antiparasitic. And one thing, if you're not used to or can't quite stand the apple cider vinegar, doing it straight or putting it in water and drinking it, one thing you can do is you can find a store or there's a brand called Kavita. They have apple cider vinegar drinks where they're flavored. Um, they're, they have uh, a variety. There's like a berry flavor and then they've got a lemon ginger flavor, I think, and then also a turmeric uh, turmeric and cayenne or turmeric and lemon flavor, uh, which are, to me, actually, I enjoy them. But again, I can I can also consume the vinegar, and uh, it's not been something that's been difficult for me. Our kids enjoy it. They enjoy the vinegars. They enjoy the a variety of the other different uh, drinks that we utilize to help with balancing the microflora and the gut bacteria in their bodies. Um, But hopefully that's been beneficial for you. Uh, I think, again, the strategy and the purpose here is to say, okay, a lot of people are recommending the use of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Well, what would be your strategy on an herbal, on an herbal means in order to mimic that approach and perhaps to have an even better approach? And that is to use Ching Hao and to use Bing Long or Beetle Nut and Artemisinin. And uh, in addition to that, some apple cider vinegar. So I hope you enjoyed that uh, episode. I hope it's been uh, something beneficial for you that you can apply into your household um, therapeutic treatment options. And uh, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to give me a call or post. Please uh, like, subscribe, share with a friend. Let's get this information out there. I, I recently spoke with a friend, and they said, why isn't this information out there? And I, again, this is what I'm trying to do. Uh, th- this physician, or this, this industry, um, as a, me in this industry as a natural health physician, is so critical, it's so important, and we need to recognize the value of this as a first line of defense against any sort of 
pandemic or crisis related to a viral or a parasite or any sort of uh, plague-type condition. There are answers that uh, have been found and can be provided by thousands and thousands of years of research and study into these herbals and the information and knowledge that we have now that we can access. So let's not turn it away. Let's utilize it. I'm not suggesting we are anti-medicine at all. I'm, I'm pro-wise use of all medicine, but I think that we do ourselves a significant disservice when we don't allow ourselves the appropriate and professional advice and, and use of, of uh, physicians in the natural health industry. So make sure, again, as I've emphasized a number of times, make sure that you have a natural health physician in your list on your team of care providers, whether it's your sole care provider or if it's your, your uh, integrated health, it's one of your care providers on a, a team of health experts, depending on your conditions and your stage in life, uh, you need a natural health physician. You should all have one. This is my recommendation, suggestion, that on your team, that's uh, someone you seek out so that you can have this benefit to hopefully stay out of the hospital and prevent those stays and remain healthy and keep your metabolic health profile in, in order and in a, in a way in which if you did need to enter the hospital that you're able to recover and get out much quicker and much easier. Until next time, all, stay well and healthy. <laughs>